Hello, and welcome to On the Other Hannah. I'm Hannah Nuriam. Hi, it's Hannah. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I took some time away from this creative space that I love so much because activism and working in that space has uh, been a big call and I am still working on juggling all of the things and balancing all of the things, but I finally felt today that I really needed to devote my energy into this creative space that I love and share with you some of the things that Spirit has been working through me as I've been doing some of these projects and been a part of different works that are happening in my local community. Uh, Last episode was about Black Lives Matter, and I have to tell you that Um, it is eye opening to sit and think how much my privilege dictates my viewpoint in ways that I just continually fail to see. And I thought I was like decently woke, you know, and no, no, no. One of the things that has really hit me is how in my whiteness, I think, well, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like this at all. Uh, This needs to change like right now. And I'm so very used to getting my way. And I'm going to touch on that again. I am out of podcast practice because this entire intro segment, I'm on like the 15th time trying to record it. I didn't write the beginning of it like I'm supposed to. I have to tell you, it is interesting how often I'm used to getting my way and thinking that because I see something wrong and that I have a desire to change it and that I'm so used to getting my way that that's just going to happen. And that is laughable. It, that's, not, that's not how it works. Uh, that's how a lot of white women like myself are used to the world working too often. Uh, in the beginning of June, I started a a project called the Serve and Protect Project, which sounds so much more policier than it is, because it's super not. But it is about police reform. That was its focus. Uh, that was its beginning. I thought, okay, I, I really want to make change happen, and I want to commit myself to that. I can't just sit around and talk about things. I have to do something more than just protesting uh, you know, this isn't happening in my community yet, so I can step up and I can do this, okay? And I began the Serve and Protect Project, and it didn't initially have a name. It was just called, like, let's get a police oversight committee here, guys! Um, And then it was brought to my attention that organizations do need branding. So the Serve and Protect Project was born because I feel very passionately like that should be what happens in our communities in regards to the way we take care of each other and the way that police take care of us. It should be about serving and protecting. So this project fights racism. This project is working towards, like I said, an oversight committee. And boy, is there a lot of opposition to that that I didn't expect. Um, I thought, oh, this is like the most mild, most softest progressive thing we could do here, like in terms of reform. No, people are like wildly against it. And in my naivete, I thought, I can get this done in like two years. (laughs) Oh, guys, 
Oh, guys. Uh, it's interesting to work in the space of movement-based community organizing when you have no college education, absolutely no experience, and you are a complete amateur who learns everything as you go. It's great. And there are 17-year-olds who are sitting in their communities doing this right now. There are incredible women of color who have felt uh, the oppressive systems and stepped up and done the damn thing over and over and over again. And now that I have just my toes wet in this experience, the amount of respect I have for people who do this is immense. Uh, it's challenging. It takes a lot of time. And like many things in my life, uh, and like many other white ladies, we think we're going to get into something and we think and have an idea of what it's going to be like. And it's never what you think. And there's always so much more work. So the Serve and Protect Project was born. Uh, it was named and then incredible. Right now there are my sister who is the most, one of the most phenomenally intelligent people I've ever met. Uh, she understands things and speaks and articulates in a way. She has a podcast. I, it's called I Couldn't Not. Go check that out because she's brilliant and just fluently expresses things. And you, you got to check her out. She is um, involved in SAP. Uh, there's two other beautiful women. I don't have permission to share their names and I want to protect them. But uh, an amazing black woman and an amazing white woman who have come alongside and are just literally exactly the kind of people that you want involved in ac activism. They are the people who show up. They show up every time I'm getting emotional talking about them. Tears are in my eyes right now um, because it means the world when people show up because so often sitting there begging people like, Hey, can I just have your attention for like five seconds so that we can like, cause you guys said you're interested in this. So maybe could you like respond about this one thing that you can do in your house in like, you didn't even have to go anywhere. You could just click something and maybe like, seriously, people don't do shit. So to have women who without fail, every time show up. It, I, I can't express the gratitude and respect I have for them. And if you are doing anything in community organizing, those are the people you will find you want to put laurels on. Um, they're invaluable. And they have, this has become the leadership of this project. And we have had incredibly beautiful conversations about what we want that leadership to look like. And interestingly enough, I was brought to my childhood pastor, which is so weird because, again, I am like, you know, big woo-woo lady. So I don't often talk about um, how there were beautiful things that happened in my church leadership. Oftentimes I'm being very critical of them. But one thing that I loved about my childhood pastor was he said, if you want to lead, if you ever want to be in a position of leadership, you should be the person who scrubs the toilets. He lived that in, in, in so many ways that uh, it created, I, I, I continue to have a lot of respect for him. 
And when we were talking about what it means to be a leader and how we're trying to, uh, it's put us in positions of leadership within our community, slowly but surely. And what that means is, okay, we're the people who show up. We're also the people who are going to metaphorically scrub your toilet. And the people who are going to be doing the work with servant hearts and passion. And so as I get to be a part of, you know, we're partnering with other groups and getting together and networking. And if you're doing that, I encourage you, if you want to step into leadership within your community, um, I, I encourage you deeply to be the kind of leader who is going to be in the trenches because that changes a lot of things. You have to be a doer. Um, delegation is powerful. It is necessary because one person can't do everything. Um, but being in the trenches is, is critical and specific towards movements. And maybe everybody else already knows that. But in my experience in seeing leaders, in my experience in working in the nonprofit sector and literally hiring leaders, I can tell you, Often I see people who are great at wanting to tell other people what to do without being willing to be in it with them. And so if you are considering activism, if you are considering getting involved, please, please make sure that you are prioritizing being in the trenches. It's, it's critical. So it's been a couple months, not even, oh my goodness. I keep thinking it's the end of July because that's how tired I am, guys. I was doing 65 hour weeks at my job and just not a lot of sleep was happening. My brain keeps thinking we're at the end of July. We're not. It's like the 11th. I'm a little off. So I began this one month ago <laughs> and spirit has been just working on me deeply about it. And that's been very necessary. And I'm grateful that it is happening at the beginning of this in the, the infancy of this project, because I would not want to have to learn these lessons way, way, way deeper involved. These are, these are critical early lessons to learn. And so I would like to, to share with you how spirit is working on me in my fragility. Some of that is specific to my white fragility. Some of that is specific to just my emotional fragility. And I want to express that I am not an expert on white fragility. There are people who have written books about it. There's one that's really popular that a lot of voices of color have been really critical of. And the name of the book to replace that with escapes me at this time. But I got to tell you, if you're interested in unpacking your white fragility, uh, do more than read that one book. Uh, check out what voices of color are saying on it. But I, I, I cannot claim to be any kind of expert in this. I am just sitting and examining my own feelings and working through them. And I'm hoping that sharing that can help you start to sit with your own discomfort and examine things as well. So let's get into it. Okay, guys, we're back into the written segment shortly. And I have to tell you, I listened to that. I kept that take because I think it was good. But every single um I said, I hurt inside just a little bit. This is why I got it right every time, guys. Every time. 
So I'm here to talk to you today about what spirit has been doing through me in my fragility and how that has affected the activism that I'm doing and my own personal growth. And so I'm, I'm here to share that with you. Spirit has been hitting me in my fragility lately. That has been interesting to work through, though. And I say interesting kind of coyly because interesting can mean unpleasant. <laughs> it's been a wildly growing experience, though. I really thought that I was at least a fair to middling woke person and that while I had things to learn, I was comfortable and had to grow in those areas. For example, I had attended some protests and then post protests, I learned that there are some chants that I need to not participate in as a white woman. And while I was embarrassed that I hadn't known that ahead of time, I was like, okay, cool. No better, do better. I can course correct this. Reading the writer's, um, reading words of writers like Allie Henney and agreeing and, and not getting triggered. I had this false sense of, see, I'm like a decent person willing to unpack my stuff. I'm doing it. Oof, 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 oof. Isn't that what the kids are saying? I feel like that's my, my go-to young person slang is oof, man, oof. The more I became involved in local activism, the more I found that I was suddenly confronted with many areas of my fragility, and I had tricked myself into thinking that I was comfortable with those confrontations. <laughs> big no, guys. Huge, huge big no. Let me start with the ones that I identified easily. Wow, okay, this activism stuff is hard. It's going to be a really long-term uphill battle. And as a white girl, I'm really used to getting my way, like appallingly used to it. I had to sit and unpack that what I have allowed in my life that fosters I'm supposed to get my way, especially when I'm working in areas of race, because there are activists with far deeper understandings of what it is to face those challenges and overcome them. As a white woman, I'm also used to being a leader and, and having my thoughts and feelings validated. Again, in a space of activism, you are often against an opposition that is not going to validate you at all. And your validation is not necessary to the points that you're making. I had to assess and recognize this weakness that I'm bringing into the fight. I had to change my communication so that it doesn't seek exterior validation because it isn't about me. I'm really, really, just real, real good at making shit about me. Activism is entirely never about me, and that's its point. So in these weaknesses, I have to realize that in some areas, I may still be leading because that's what's called for, but I have to make sure that I am only responding to what is called for. Then, taking it a step further, I have to identify these weaknesses and how others' strengths meet the need, so then I uplift those voices instead, critically and with paramount importance, the voices of color specifically in regards to activism issues. Spirit has taken it beyond those easily recognizable issues for me. Spirit is like, the whole point is addressing your fragility. So like, you're not going to get to stop at what's easy. Come on, girl. Come on. Come on. I really like would prefer to stop at what's easy. That's kind of, again, my whole thing. Let me tell you, my fragility is really disappointed that we're not going to stop at what's easy. 
I have this like bullshit about being comfortable. And I have to tell you, I think a lot of other, a lot of us do. And I'm not any kind of authority on it, but in my experience and in my own growth, we, I like being comfortable. I have felt to a point that my comfort is my right. That comes from white privilege. I got to tell you. So I have various mental health issues and my feelings can become a fucking problem. Those bitches are high maintenance. My least favorite of them being my anxiety. See, my depression, I can medicate. My mania doesn't last too long. My flashbacks and trauma things I have coping mechanisms and support systems for. My anxiety is my constant companion. My backseat driver who never shuts the hell up. And if my anxiety is a person, my fragility feeds her breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So spirit has taken me to task in the past few weeks in a way that has had me confronting that. And my anxiety then starts roaring for my attention in that. So here are some of the things that I've been working through. Not getting upset or offended when I am questioned. Specifically in front of anyone, but also just questioned. With anxiety, I often view other people not as people, but as predators. I then feel a whole type of way about being questioned and therefore seen as weak in front of someone I then see as a threat. I have literally repeatedly said, you don't show weakness in front of predators. That has been a thing that has been a part of my inner narrative that I have spoken out to other people too. Like that is a part of me. So to me, real strength is being willing to be wrong and make course corrections without emotions interfering. It's also being willing to accept questioning and explain yourself without emotions interfering. And again, my emotions are some interfering bitches. So this exercise is engaging the side of me that separates what I'm doing from how I feel about what I'm doing. Another thing that spirit's just leaning into my fragility on is accepting my own unimportance. And that hits me just right where it hurts in my Texas size ego. Huge ego and emotional fragility are like such a rancid combination. So I'm sitting there asking myself, why are you doing this thing? Is it because it is right? Or is it because you want to be important? And I have to ask that and check my motivations continually from a Facebook post to standing up and doing activism. And this is not to say that I have to be self-deprecating. For example, I can share about like exercise accomplishments, even though it's small, that's mine. I can have that. But I have to check that the actions that I'm doing are to are because they are right and not to chase clout. So one example of this going well is that I wrote some letters on an, well, going well is such, I, I, (laughs) well is very relative in this statement. You'll see what I mean. I wrote some letters on an issue and shared a social media post to boost that issue. And people reached out and thanked me. And then I immediately felt convicted that I need to give credit to the black woman who brought that to my attention and did the same work before I did. So I did. But the lesson there being Give credit before it's seen, before you're given the affirmation. Understand that that action is the bare minimum of what is necessary. I had to address and unpack how come it wasn't my first inclination to give that credit where it was due. 
Regardless of how big or small the act itself was, ego will have you saying, I added my voice to this thing. When spirit calls me to say, uh, hey, person A call, uh, brought this to me and I'm, I'm putting my voice there too and I invite you to as well. There is a difference in the way you center yourself there. So spirit has just been up and down giving me triggers to handle. Like, oh, uh, this person was shit talking you. Are you going to let it affect something good in your life? Oh, family members are blocking you and shit talking and invalidating you. Are you going to be able to stand on your own two feet? Whoop! you have to share space with people that trigger your insecurities. Are you going to let that stop you? My thoughts tell me some really mean and just terrible things about myself. And I don't want to go into them because that can just be a very triggering experience in and of itself. Just trust me, they're really mean. And I'll think, who am I to do anything? So I want to combat those thoughts, confronting my fears, staying in action. But then I can't let my coping to that feed a frail ego. I have to combat it in a way that addresses. While there are areas that I can get to feel important, special, or significant, you know, bringing that back around to that exercise accomplishment I was talking about. That's an area I get to feel special in. Not every area should have that. I have to balance it and learning to balance it gives me a surer footing, makes me stronger. Ali Henny calls white folks to sit with their feelings more and examine them. Sitting and examining is a very different from expressing we do a whole lot of expressing without examination. Examination is freaking uncomfortable. What I see, though, is that so many white folks confuse discomfort with oppression. We find ways, big and small, to fight feeling uncomfortable. When for many people, discomfort is the least of their hardship. What I'm feeling is that this is preparation. The activism stuff puts me out there, dealing with people in positions of power and their systems. And then I have to respond and use my voice in order to create change. And I have to tell you, sometimes I'm sitting there speaking in front of a group of people and I'm shaking. But all of the fragility that I have is going to harm the movement, set me back and hinder the work. So spirit is calling me to be uncomfortable and then examine my responses to that. Like, and it happens in, again, in ways of the larger macro activism ways, because I think that some of this preparation stuff is so that the more spaces that I have to walk into, the more times I can confront my own fears so that I can continue to get work done and work with other people and we can continue to get work done. I want to make sure that it's not always I, I, I. You can tell that I didn't write that part. That was just me talking. So it's... It's the small ways that give you practice for how to do it in the big ways. And so the small ways are like, oh, did I lose this friend and they haven't responded to me and fear, 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 fear. Instead of I had to go, okay, maybe they need more boundaries or self-containment right now. And my job is to respect that and not lean into the parts of me that want to panic. The parts of me that want to sit and... Did I do something? What did I do? Should I apologize? No, it's not the move. Repeated checking of my fear responses, insecurities, and ego, all of it. 
Sometimes I make it through like, ah, cool, see, look at me, I'm fine. And other times I screw it up really bad or I struggle with the emotions of it. It's a process. I want to be really real that like, it's great when I'll be like, ah, oh, cool, made it through that one. Where other times I'm like, I'm emotionally bleeding. I want to be very real. There are great little, you know, like achievement unlocked. You did this one good. And then times where I have to go, oh, screwed that up. Okay, restart. Don't give up. I'd like to leave you with what is spirit telling you lately? What do you do that makes you uncomfortable? And are you willing to sit and examine your discomfort? And what what can you learn from being in that space? More and more, I see value in learning how to be uncomfortable and learning how to sit and examine our feelings. And I'm sure there are brilliant writers and therapists and wonderful people much smarter than me who have said that too. This is just where I'm at in my own process today. And I hope that you can get some encouragement and some growth for yourself that whatever you're wanting to do, there is nuggets of learning that you can find through doing that. So hand of praise, podcasting is back. I am excited to continually share with you what is happening. As always, thank you for listening. Every time I log on and there are more plays, I am flabbergasted that anyone wants to listen. And Tickled Pink, you have my immense gratitude. Thank you so much. This is Hannah with On the Other Hannah, signing off.